So it's, it's family service, right? And you guys, where, where do you guys normally hang out on Sunday mornings? Back there, most of you, right? And we have all sorts of fun back there and games and songs and awesome teachers that we need more of, shameless plug, um, for, for, for most Sundays. Um, but you know, I want you guys, this is such an awesome opportunity this morning for you guys to come in here, for it to be loud, for it to be a little, a little more movement. When you get old, you get tired, and we just sit, and we're kind of boring as adults, and you guys remind us what it's like to have fun, what it's like to be full of joy, and we're just so glad you guys are here. And this week, as I've been thinking about what it means to have a church made up of all of you awesome young kids, um, and what that means for us as adults, um, as moms and dads, I've really been thinking about what does it mean to be a mom or a dad? What do you guys think? What, what is a mom and a dad? We're, we're being vulnerable here, parents. We're asking, this is like unscripted, real, raw. Yeah, what is, what is a mom or a dad? Someone who takes care of you. I love it. Anybody else? What is, what is a mom or a dad? A parent, yeah. So as I've been thinking about it this week, I had, huh? A mom and dad is a mom and dad. Yeah, there's, there's, it, the explanation is in the name. Nothing else needs to be said. Um, well, I have some things in this bag that as I was thinking about what it means to be a mom or a dad helped me think about being a parent. Do you guys know what this is, parents? So you guys know I'm not showing your kids something crazy. What is it? A gavel. You even know the right name. You are so smart. that You were going to say it to you guys are all so smart. You guys have good moms and dads, which are just moms and dads. Um, yes. Who, do, who uses these? A judge, what do they do with it? Do they hit it? Right? What happens when they hit it? What are they trying to do? Guilty? They're sentencing people? (laughs) Order. I love, who said order? I like that. Yes. They're bringing order. Do your moms and dads ever kind of act like a judge? Maybe they don't have a gavel, but you can buy them on Amazon. Um, um, Do they ever bring order and kind of, Maybe you're like, you're guilty. Go to your room. Like, do your moms and dads sometimes kind of act like that? Sometimes. It's okay. This is a safe place. You can be honest. Yeah, sometimes moms and dads have to kind of act like a judge and bring order. And and what does a a judge do? A judge protects. He enforces the rules, right? He, He kind of helps keep us safe. And sometimes our moms and dads are like that. But You know, the Bible says, that God is our ultimate judge, that God is our ultimate ruler and king and authority. And so when I think about being a mom and dad, sometimes I want to pick up the gavel and be in charge. But I think as parents, we need to understand that this gavel doesn't belong in my hand or your mom or dad's hand. It belongs in God's hand. And so we're going to set that to the side because that doesn't belong in our hands. I have something else here. Let's see how smart you guys are. What is this? A stethoscope. Very good. Yes. What, who uses this? A doctor, maybe a nurse, right? People who work in the medical field. And what do they do? What do they listen to with this? Your heart, maybe your lungs when you go there. Um, what do doctors do or nurses? What are, what are they doing? Take care of people, help you when you're sick, right? They, provide, they, they protect you and they, they, yeah, they go to the hospital and they, they help heal your body. And sometimes don't do your moms and dads, do they help you when you're sick? Do they protect you? Do they care for you? Do they, 
they try to make you eat your yucky vegetables and um, maybe you guys probably all really like your vegetables. You're good kids, but my kids don't eat their vegetables. Um, but absolutely. Um, so when in doubt, just agree. Um, so sometimes your, your moms and dads kind of act like a doctor, don't they? They protect you. They watch over you. They care for you. They try to, try to keep you healthy. You know, the Bible also says that God is our, our healer. And he sent Jesus to deal with one thing that was really sick about us, our sin. And Jesus came and he healed our sickness by dying on the cross. And I know you guys hear this back in, in kids' church every week. So, so while sometimes moms and dads pick up the gavel and they act like a judge, and sometimes they act like doctors and try to heal, ultimately, that's up to God, not your mom and dad. And so I have one more thing in my little bag of goodies, that as I thought about what it means to be a mom and a dad, do you guys know what this is? Tinfoil. It kind of looks like tinfoil, but it's not. It's a little harder than tinfoil. Hope I didn't break it. It is kind of a pipe. Do you guys know what a baton is? What's a baton? That is a, English is tricky. Same word, a little bit different than this type of baton, but you are absolutely right. So do you guys ever watch the Olympics? You guys ever watch people run around the track? And they run super fast, and then they hand this, you take it, to, to somebody else in a relay race. As I was thinking about what it means to be a mom and a dad this week, you know, the temptation is to be the judge. The temptation is to try to be the healer. But really, as moms and dads, our job is to set you guys up well and to share Jesus with you and hand you guys this baton. Because when racers run around the track, when they get to the end, they pass this baton off as a symbol that I've done all I can do. It's now your turn. That's what moms and dads are here to do. Sometimes that looks like enforcing the rules. Sometimes that looks like protecting you and all of that. But all of it is meant to hand this to you so you guys can run farther and faster than we ever could. And so I want to thank you guys for, for being up here. Um, I'm going to pray for you, and then you guys can go sit back down. You guys listen so well. I wish your parents listened as well as you guys just did. So let me pray for you, and then you guys can go back to your, mom, your moms and dads, okay? God, thank you for these, this future generation that is sitting right here. God, I pray that, Lord, they would pick up their batons. God, that they would run their race well. God, as a church, and, and Lord, as their parents, as just people that, because we're in the same room with them, God, we are in their lives. I pray that we would set them up well. God, that we would look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would make much of you. God, I pray for these children right here, Lord, that, that at a very young and very early age, they would just embrace the truth of Jesus, what you did on the cross, and they would never not remember a season of walking with you, God. And so, God, we just pray that you would bless them, God, for their parents. I just pray, Lord, for, for stamina, God, for patience, God, for um, just encouragement this morning as we talk about what it means to leave a legacy. Lord, I pray that um, ultimately you would be glorified, God. Ultimately, um, Lord, you would be made much of this morning. So let it be your words and not mine. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. You can go have a seat with your mom and dad. That's it. It's empty. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for being here this ah, for being here this morning. Um, 
it's, it's always fun for me when we do our family services. I, I really enjoy bringing the little kids in and, and just, just seeing parents try to corral their kids and try to, try to have everybody in here and the chaos. I just, I love it. I think it's, I think it's so great. And so um, this morning we're going to talk about generational legacy. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 78. Um, and if you didn't know, one of our core values at Redemption is generational legacy. If you go to our website, go to redemptionloveland.org, you could see our different values that are there. And one of them is generational legacy. And this morning, I kind of want to explain that because it's real easy to just say that and move on. But if we really want to be a church that has a generational impact, I think we need to sometimes camp on it and say, okay, Lord, what does this look like for me as a father, for us as a church, and for these little ears that are in here this morning, that it's been been placed on us to care for them, love them, encourage them, and set them up well. And so um, to define generational legacy, I just pulled this literally off our website. So if you go there, this is how we define generational legacy. We say that our desire is to equip each individual family to see the gospel have generational impact, faithfully passing along the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. That's how we would define what it means to be a church and be a people that are about generational legacy. And we're going to look this morning at Psalm 78 and, and see, see a story, really, that, that, that it was put to music by the worship leader of Israel who was appointed by King David. His name is Asaph. And he writes this monster-long song or psalm Um, It's 72 verses. We're going to look at the first eight this morning and see what we need to do if we want to be a people who leave a generational legacy, who make an impact for the future generations. And so um, if you have your Bibles, open up Psalm 78. Uh, We're going to read the first three verses, and then we'll talk a little bit. Asaph starts this psalm by saying, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching." Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told to us. Let's stop right there. If we want to be a people that leave or make a generational impact, it starts with us embracing the word of God. We need to be a people who listen to what God says. He says, Asaph starts this psalm, and and this psalm is going to go for 72 verses, and, and, and most of it is going to be spent reflecting on all that God has done in the lives of his people. It is a, a look back. If, um, if you've studied the Old Testament, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Deuteronomy. It comes at the end of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a summary statement. It's kind of a Moses knows his time of leading God's people is coming to an end, and he just wants to share everything he can with them so that they're set up well when they enter into the promised land. He knows God has told him, you're not going to get to go. And so he just basically summarizes the first four. It's like the Cliff's Notes version of the Pentateuch. It's awesome. And 
that's essentially what Psalm 78 is kind of going to turn into as we progress through it, is this looking back at all God has done and remembering God's word, remembering God's provision, his protection, and how he entered in with God's people, with his people. And and so Asaph starts this, this song, starts this psalm with an encouragement to really embrace God's word, to remember his teaching, to remember the words that he's about to say. And as he progresses, he basically shares the Bible with them. And so if we want to pass the baton to the future generation well, it starts with our own hearts and our own souls. We can't be lazy about our faith if we want to set up the future generation well. We have to enter in to God's word. We have to become a people who incline our ears to the words that God has for us. And I love that at the end of verse 1, it's an exclamation mark. It's not a period. This is emotional for Asaph. He is feeling this tension and this desire to share with God's people. You need to embrace God's word. Because again, as he goes forward, he's going to share all that God has done in their history. Verse 2 says that he's going to open his mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings from old. If we fast forward to the book of Matthew, Jesus, the master storyteller, is sharing parables. He's using common everyday things like farming and kids and um, fishing and all sorts of things. To, to illustrate kingdom values and purposes. And as he's sharing these parables, as he's sharing these stories, the disciples come to him and they're kind of confused. And they go, why are you talking like this? We get confused. And in Matthew 13, verse 35, Jesus says that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. He quotes verse 2. So in Psalm 78, we see Jesus fulfills this prophecy and goes back and says, hey, remember when Asaph wrote about, uh, remember when he wrote about uh, parables and uttering dark sayings from of old? Well, guess what? I'm going to follow in that. I'm a storyteller. I want to embrace the story of God, and I'm going to share that in a way that people can hear it. That's what Jesus does in Matthew. That's what Asaph is doing in Psalm 78. And he says, that the things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. That there is a responsibility on us to share God's word. First, we need to know God's word, and then we need to share it. This isn't just get into a room, close the door, study the Bible, become masters of Hebrew and Greek, and read all the commentaries, and get so smart that you're more knowledgeable than everybody else. No, it's it's read and study and know God's word and then share it. Share it, which takes us to if we want to have a generational impact, we start with embracing our faith, embracing the word for ourselves, and secondly, encouraging the future generation. We see this in verse 4 through 6. He says, we will not hide, from them, from, we will not hide them from their children. We'll come back because that's very interesting language. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, 
that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, pay attention here, and arise and tell them to their children. We'll pause there. If we want to be a people that make a generational impact, we have to encourage the future generation. We can't, we can't just look at these little ones that we're sitting up here as people that wear us out, make us tired, test our patience. No, like these are future husbands and wives, church leaders, business leaders, politicians. That it, these are the future. We have to have a mindset that says, I want to come alongside and encourage them. Do the best for them that I can and set them up well. That's what Asaph is saying. In verse 4, the language is very interesting. Because in verse 3, he says, things that we've heard and known, our fathers have told us. And then verse 4 says, we won't hide them from their children. So in verse 3, he's talking about their fathers, and then it's the father's children, which is the current generation. But he says, then also tell them to the coming generation. So there's this responsibility that Asaph is, is really laying out here where we are both responsible for being present in our community and investing in the future generation. It's a both and, it's not an either or. And so that's where I think this morning, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I never, I, I'm single, I don't have kids, I'm not married. Maybe you're married and you don't have kids. Maybe you're married and your kids are gone and you're like, this is awesome. I don't have little ones at home anymore. This doesn't apply to me. And you're already trying to think about what you're going to have for lunch. I would encourage you, engage. Because here's the thing. Asaph is saying, we are responsible where we live and to the future. And so the way that I like to think about it is that God has placed you in a context, wherever you live, work, shop, eat, play, God has you there on purpose, for purpose. And so we can invest in the coming generation, but we don't want to neglect the people that are surrounding us, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people that God has placed in our community. And we have a responsibility to share with them Exactly what we see at the end of verse 4. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. The wonders that he has done. And then I love that verse 5, it says that he establishes a testimony and appointed a law. That God gave Israel a story and rules to give away to other people. And I want to encourage you this morning that God has given you a story. And your story is precious to God. And he wants to use that story. Just like he wanted and gave Israel a testimony, he's given you a testimony. He's brought you, Lord willing, out of darkness and into light. And that is a glorious deed of the Lord that you can share. That you can share both in your workplace, but then also with the coming generation. I think it's so important, parents, that we engage with our kids in a way that shares, here's who I was before Christ, and here's who God is making me, and I'm still in process. My job is to hand you the baton, not be the judge. My job is to do all that I can because at the end of the day, we're running the race too. We're not the author and perfecter. Jesus is. And so we rely on him. We make much of him. We point to him and his glorious deeds. And then we recognize that he's given us a testimony. And then the fact that he's appointed a law, the law was meant to reveal our need for a savior. 
that at some point in your life, God, by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, showed you your sin, that you have messed up, and that God demanded perfection. He is holy and righteous, and you didn't measure up. That is a byproduct of the law, of God laying out his standards. And he showed you, you didn't make the cut, but God gave us Jesus. And so with our children, we need to enter in and yes, give them rules, be present, protect them, but also be quick to say the rules, the law is there to show you that you're gonna mess up and you get an opportunity then to put grace on display, to to highlight their need for the gospel and put Jesus on display. And so God gives you a story. God gives us the law to point us to Jesus. And he says he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Again, that's the current generation and the next generation might know and the children yet unborn. He's just kind of covering everybody and highlighting that we need to be a people who are concerned about the present and the future by knowing our past. And then verse 6, at the end, I love this, says, and arise and tell them to their children. The only way true family discipleship is going to happen, the only way you're going to be able to encourage the future generation is to get up and do it. It's not just going to happen accidentally. And, and parents, I, I just, I want to give grace here. Because here's the thing, it's, it, it's almost October, it's starting to feel like fall, and if you're not a baseball fan, it's a great time to start being a baseball fan because playoffs start like on Tuesday. And it's just a fun time to start watching baseball because it's 162 games that don't really matter until like today. Now they all matter. But here's the thing about baseball. If you're not a big sports fan, baseball is what's known as a failure sport because the best hitters in the world still get out seven out of 10 times. And they're the best. They make all the money. And they're only getting on base three out of 10 times. And they're awesome. And it's a grind, and it, it, it just it beats them up, and it, it's, it's a failure sport. You're going to miss more than you're going to make it. As I reflected on just my own parenting and my own engaging in the future generation and encouraging them, I feel a lot like a baseball player most of the time. I feel like I'm playing a failure sport. Like I miss it more than I put the ball in play. It's hard. What we're talking about this morning, passing on, running this race, it gets weary. It feels hard. Most of us men, we probably feel very ill-equipped to do a good job at this. I don't know your background. I don't know how you were raised. Most of us probably didn't grow up in a, in a strong home where dad modeled what discipleship looked like. If you did, get down on your knees and thank the Lord for that because that is such a huge blessing. But that doesn't abdicate us of that responsibility. And just because it may feel like we're playing a failure sport doesn't mean you don't step up to the plate. Doesn't mean you don't swing the bat. And I think especially for me in this age of like social media where people put stuff on like Instagram and Facebook of like, you know, for me there's like this, this picture of what a family worship night should look like. And it's my kids like sitting around me writing in crayon in their journals and just like soaking in the word and hungry for it. And my wife with the guitar that she doesn't even play, ready to lead us in a responsive song and 
everything, the house is clean, and it's just this beautiful moment where we're ushered into the throne room of heaven, and it's amazing, and everybody gets saved every time. It's so good. That is the picture. And then we enter in, and I have to use the phrase, stop licking your sister far more than I like. And it ends up, everybody just gets sent to their room, and the prayer is out of frustration, and we don't make it through the Bible story. That is the reality versus the picture. And I feel like because I have this picture in my mind, I don't even attempt the reality because I don't want to fail. And so I say, you know what? Let's just turn on a movie and forget it. We need to enter in. And it only happens if we get up and do something about it. It's not just going to accidentally happen. We have to arise and tell it to their children. And again, this goes for if you don't have kids, the people in your workplace, it's not just going to accidentally happen. We have to get up and put our faith in action. You have been handed a baton. How are you running the race? Are you striving to make Jesus known at every opportunity, acknowledging that, man, we desperately need his grace? If we want to have a generational impact, we need to embrace the word, encourage the future generation, And then finally, we need to entrust the future generation. Verse 7 and 8 says, So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Your hope, my hope, I believe any, any parent's hope is that we set our kids up to avoid the hurt and pain that maybe we've experienced and, and to let them go further and do more than we have done. I think that's what any good parent wants is, is to love their kids well and set them up for success. And if we're going to do that, We need to entrust the generation. And what I mean by that is if we look at these verses, we see here that Asaph is basically saying, we want our kids to know our past hurts and failures. We want them to know that we were stubborn and rebellious, that our hearts were not steadfast, that our spirit was not faithful. We're going to be vulnerable with our kids and entrust our story, the good and the bad, to our kids. So that we can go back to verse 4. Three, share the glorious deeds of the Lord. Make much of what Jesus has done. And so you don't share your past hurts, your past pains, your past failures just to brag, but to make much of Jesus. And so rather than pretending like you've got it all together, rather than just acting as a judge and throwing the gavel down and saying, I'm not, I'm not opening up, go to your room. No, it's enter in, be real, Be vulnerable. Share what your life was like before Christ. Share how Jesus has made a difference. And then watch what what he can do as you trust your kids, as you trust the future generation, as you enter in and seek to share Jesus and how he's made a difference in your life. And just to to pause for a moment here, like, and share maybe um, some of our philosophy as a church when it comes to both kids' ministry and students and Um, our philosophy is that it's 
it's not my job as a pastor to disciple your kids. We feel like it's our job as pastors to come alongside you parents and help you and equip you and encourage you to disciple your kids. And our hope would be that on Sunday mornings when your kids check in back here um, in the kids ministry area and they go to to their classrooms with their teachers, that they are being reinforced what you are hoping and prayerfully and imperfectly putting on display throughout the week. And we are just coming alongside you parents. And I'm excited to, to kind of announce, we've kind of been like teasing it a little bit. And um, so next Sunday, we are officially as a church launching a student ministry here at Redemption that, that we have been, for me, I have been burdened for over, over a year and just not really sure on the Lord's timing and what it was supposed to look like. And so uh, that we, we do really good with kids. And then we do relationship and adults and, you know, connecting and community and this on Sunday for grown-ups, for adults, really well. But there's this pocket of students that we just have been missing. And it's not that we didn't care. It's that we were just waiting on the Lord. And the Lord has made it abundantly clear that the time is now and it's time to start running. And so starting next Sunday, we're, we're kicking off with like a fun community night. We're going to do a sock war. If you want to know more about it, you got to come. It's going to be amazing. Um, and then ice cream and food and stuff. And it's just going to be an opportunity for students to connect with each other. Nine and up. Nine through, you know, whoever wants to come. Nine and up. Um, but then after that, starting the 14th, every Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we're going to have small groups for students here at the building. We're going to have 4th and 5th grade small groups and 6th through 8th grade small groups. Boys and girls, we're going to kind of keep them separate. I'm so excited. God has brought a team of 10 leaders together that are committed and excited, and we've been meeting and praying and just getting ready for what God is going to do. And one of the things we're, we're going to use in this um, in these small groups is something called the New City Catechism. And if you have students, if you've got kids, I just want to encourage you, go to your app store on your phone and download. There's an app. It's the New City Catechism. Download the app. It's free 90 free. It costs you nothing. And it is the whole book that you could go to Amazon and buy. Don't buy the book. Download the app. And it has all of the questions. Because what it is, is it's 52 questions and answers that give students a solid theological foundation. It asks the questions I think all of us at some point or another have asked. Who is God? Why is the Trinity a big deal? What is the gospel? What, what is heaven going to be like? Like some of these foundational, fundamental questions, it asks them and answers them, gives them biblical support, and it's all on the app for free. And what I would encourage you parents to do is just as you're sitting at the dinner table, pull up a question and talk about it. If you don't know the answer, you know what? Grab your, grab your student, grab your kid and say, let's figure it out together. There's all the commentaries and stuff. It's all in the app. It's very easy to use. And that's what we're going to be using with students on Sunday night. We're going to ask a question and talk about it in small groups every single week as well as do fun things to get the kids connected and stuff and build community within the student base. And so our desire, our hope is, is that you would be using this throughout the week and then they would come here and be reinforced. Maybe go a little bit deeper, maybe get some extra layers, but it wouldn't be brand new information. It would be stuff you guys are doing at home. 
or as Deuteronomy 6, which if you go to our website, um, this is kind of the biblical support we use for our value of generational legacy. Deuteronomy 6 says, hear, hear O Israel. And remember, this is Moses trying to like get as much information out as possible to, um, to, to God's people before he's no longer their leader. He says, hear, O Israel, listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you arise. Parents, adults, just it's, it's our job to make much of Jesus as we go through the day, to look for opportunities to share the love of God as we sit at the dinner table, as we walk or drive down the street, when you get up, when you lay down, make much of Jesus in your home. And then the church wants to come alongside you and support you in that. And so back in the kids' ministry area, we've got the Jesus Storybook Bible, that if you don't have a good devotional little storybook to read with your kids, I would encourage, actually, if you just want to read a really good version of the Bible, go grab one and read it. I think it's awesome for any age group. It basically takes the whole Bible and makes it about Jesus, and it's so well done. Um, and so we want to we put that resource in your hands. The Catechism app, we want to put that in your, in your toolbox so that you can love and invest in the coming generation. We want to do all we can to partner with families and entrust this well so we can pass the baton. Because the reality is, at one point or another, Somebody put the good news of the gospel in your hands and you picked it up and said, I'm going to run this race. I think for some of us, maybe we set it down and we get busy and we just kind of stop running. But we want to run this race well. And so my encouragement, my, my prayer for you this week would just be to really ask the question, how are you running this race? First and foremost, are you embracing the word of God? Are you entering in to your own faith and running this race and working out your own salvation with fear and trembling? And then if you are, or as you are, how are you looking to give that away, to pass the baton wherever you live, work, shop, eat, and play? That's what God is calling us to. That's what it means to be the church. So will you pass the baton?